again and uh, if you haven't been around the last few weeks, uh, you might be sort of realising you've picked up halfway through a series here. That's a letter, this uh, letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote to some very dear friends uh, and his purpose in writing to them was to remind them of how great Jesus is and of the ultimate importance of having your trust in him and in him alone. And so it's a a great message that has endured and that has been handed down and lasted through the generations, the centuries, even uh, the millennia. And here we are 2,000 years uh, later in the same need, in need of the same message, that is, to understand how great Jesus is, what makes him so great, and also of the essential uh, nature of putting our trust in him. Uh, last week, uh, Paul introduced uh, the Philippians or, or you know, talked to the Philippians about two mutual friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, who he was hoping to send to them soon. And he encouraged them to receive and welcome uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus because they would encourage the Philippians in their faith in Jesus. But this week, uh, we uh, actually come to a passage where Paul is warning the Philippians about some other visitors that they might receive. Uh, some other visitors who aren't going to encourage them in Jesus, in fact, who, whose goal is to distract them and uh, draw them away from trusting in Jesus. Uh, so we need this warning just as much as we need the encouragement to look to Jesus. Let's pray that we would understand what Paul is saying and what God is saying to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you uh, care about us so much that Uh, you present to us the good news of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. And you also warn us about the things that might uh, drag us away from trusting in him. So we ask that you'll help us to pay attention this morning and that your spirit would be active in us, enabling us to understand and take it to heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, actually, I suspect you have, uh, a real uptick in the number of scams out there. Uh, These scams used to come via email, probably before email, they came some other way. Uh, Confidence tricksters, you know, that's the con man, the confidence trickster, uh, who's always uh, been around. But lately, uh, the the mode of, of delivery has been in text messages. So, I don't know if you're getting these, but I'm getting them all the time, text messages that are obviously uh, just scams. So I woke up on Friday morning this week to three text messages that I'm pretty convinced were scams. Here's, here's, here's what they said. This one, warning, linked. In your account, there is an overdue invoice. Please check the notice and pay promptly to avoid additional penalties. I didn't. Um, I wasn't even tempted. But this one... Your bus card has an outstanding fee. Oh no, my bus card. (laughs) Uh, Please complete the operation, link, before March 4. Oh no, that was yesterday. Um, Otherwise, it will be restricted. Imagine that, having your bus card restricted. (laughs) Wouldn't be able to catch the bus anymore. Uh, And then there was this one. Please complete your attendance report for Elvanto for your growth group on... Oh no, hang on, that's not a scam. That's just... (laughs) Um, yeah, scams, they're, they're all around us uh, and it's easy to laugh and it's easy to dismiss many of them and yet if we believe what's in the news, more and more people are actually getting caught up in these scams and millions and millions of dollars uh, are being uh, lost to these scammers. Now, 
full admission, I was actually caught out by a scam. It wasn't one of these ones. It was more, yeah, uh, I think I've shared this with you before. I was, I was looking at Lego, you know, I was looking at expensive Lego. And um, I found this website that had a Lego set that should have cost $500, but they were selling it for only $180. And I thought, wow, that looks too good to be true. But gee, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and I checked out the website a bit more and I thought, this looks really legitimate, you know. Um, and I, <laughs> I spoke to my son and I said, hey, Angus, I'll, I'll go halves with you. And he was like, yeah, Dad, let's do this. And uh, so we, we, um, bought, we bought the uh, Lego set for $180 and it never turned up. $180 just gone from the bank account. Now, I'll just say I never made Angus pay his half. Okay, uh, I copped it, I wore the scam, uh, but it was a lesson, you know, a lesson. You've got to be, uh, you got to pay attention, and if it seems too good to be true, well, yeah, probably is. Now, you may be less gullible than me, you may never have fallen for a scam like that, you may never even think that you would, good for you, but what if there was a scam that was so convincing and and in fact, so widespread, as in so, wi- ex- so accepted, so common, that you just didn't see it. You, you didn't even suspect that it was a scam. What if there was a scam that was hiding in plain sight? Now, I realise that uh, talking like that may be starting to sound like I'm promoting conspiracy theories. I'm not, really. I'm not, trust me, not even remotely. But in today's passage, Paul... Uh, servant of Jesus is warning his friends in Philippi to be wary of a scam that is doing the rounds. Uh, you might have noticed in the reading that in verse 1 he, he speaks of safeguarding them and at the start of verse 2 he says watch out for this scam. Now it's a scam that was as old as the hills even then and is still doing the rounds today. It's a scam that gets dressed up uh, in many different disguises, but under those disguises is fundamentally the same. And here's the thing about it. It is so convincing and so common that most people fall for it. That throughout history and even around the world today, most people uh, have been persuaded by this scam. And it's a scam that has devastating consequences. It's actually a scam that is at the heart of almost every religion that has ever been devised. But even people who want nothing to do with religion fall for the same scam, just under a different name. What is it? What could it be? What sort of scam could be so convincing and so enticing and so widespread that we would all be prone to it? And that many of us, even now, would be under its spell. Well, let's take a closer look at this very important passage to find out. In Paul's day and and in his context, these scammers, uh, who he's warning the Philippians about, were dressed up in religious clothing. They were people who, like Paul himself, were from a Jewish background, uh, who were probably claiming also to be followers of Jesus. But from Paul's description of them in verse 2, you could be forgiven for thinking that there's some vicious horde of criminals. Look at it. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. They sound fearsome. They sound scary, don't they? 
Now, we know about these characters from other letters that Paul wrote, uh, most notably Galatians, and we know that they were people who uh, had an MO. They turned up wherever Paul had been preaching the gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus, but they turned up after he had left, usually. They weren't turning up to reinforce the gospel, they were turning up to undermine the gospel, the good news, the message that Jesus, uh, that salvation is found in Jesus alone. And they aimed to undermine the gospel by trying to convince people that on top of trusting in Jesus, as well as trusting in Jesus, and really that's the key to their scam, adding some other requirement to faith in Jesus, as well as that they told people you have to also keep some parts of the Old Testament law. In other words, being a Christian, having your faith in Jesus is not enough. They also... Uh, told people that they need to observe all the laws and customs of the Jews if they wanted to be right with God, or righteous, as the passage calls it. So how did these people earn viv uh, Paul's vivid description of dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh? Well, he's actually using the kind of language that the Jews themselves used to describe non-Jews or Gentiles. See, Jews believed that the Gentiles were unclean, hence dogs. They believed that they were unrighteous, hence evildoers, and it was common in Gentile religion to cut oneself as a way of appeasing and earning the favour of their gods, hence mutilators of the flesh. But Paul turns the tables and throws all these tags back at these scammers because he sees very clearly that they're the ones who are out of step with God and what he is now doing through his spirit and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing about Paul is, he should know. He understands them very well because he once was just like them. Now, that's what verses 4 to 6 are all about. In those verses, Paul takes us on a tour of his trophy cabinet, as it were. And he shows us all the reasons that he has to put his confidence in the flesh, as he calls it, which basically means to put his confidence in his own identity and his achievements in order to be acceptable to God. Now, before we go on to take a look at what's in Paul's trophy cabinet, I want to just pause to give you a chance to think about what's in yours. See, the thing is, even though Paul's cabinet has a distinctly religious flavour, He's actually taking aim at anything that we put our confidence in or boast in or claim as our achievements or make the foundation of our identity. And I reckon we all do that. We just do it in different ways and with different things. So your trophy cabinet might or might not have a few religious things in there, you know, like going to church and reading your Bible and praying regularly, maybe even serving on a roster at church or in a ministry team. But it might also be full of other things, like photos of family and friends, because it's your role as a parent or a son or a daughter or a good friend or even a grandparent that give you your sense of self. And beside your photos, you might have some framed achievements, your academic or work qualifications because your confidence and your identity are in your intelligence or in the job that you do. Next to those things, you might have a, a file of uh, thank you letters 
from the various good causes that you volunteer for and that you support financially, proof that you really are a kind, generous and all-round good person. And the list goes on. Sporting achievements might appear, photos of cars or houses or other prized possessions, perhaps even pets or places you've been or experiences that you've had. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, hang on, what's the problem? Like, wh why wouldn't I take pride in those things? Why shouldn't I build my identity around those things and give them pride of place in my trophy cabinet? And at one level, those are fair enough questions because there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things in themselves. They're good things. The problem comes when we take a step back from our trophy cabinet and we look up to see the headboard on top that says in gilt letters, look what I have done. Because the problem with these trophy cabinets that we keep is that they're essentially a shrine. Right? They're essentially a place of worship. Uh, th they're a place where we keep all the things that we have given our lives to and that we have sacrificed for along the way and that we have allowed to become way too important to us that we find our identity in those fragile things. And if you were to open the doors of that trophy cabinet, uh, a stench would come out from the glass, from behind the glass, because those things are decaying and worthless. And they are also a sure sign that we have been duped, that we have been scammed. All of our trophies are actually the evidence that we have fallen for the scam. In Paul's words, that we have placed our confidence in the flesh, in ourselves, instead of in God. But we're certainly not the first to fall for the scam. Uh, take a look at Paul's trophy cabinet in verses 5 and 6. He describes himself as circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, those might not be things that you would put in your trophy cabinet, and you may not even be impressed by them. But in Paul's culture, those things established him as the best of the best. His background, his religious practice, his moral uprightness, his absolute commitment to what he believed was right. If anything was worthy of praise, uh, if anyone was worthy of praise from not only his peers but from God himself, it was Paul. Or so he thought. But not anymore. In the space between verses 6 and 7, something happened in Paul's life that caused him to sweep his trophy cabinet clean. Why does Paul now call garbage what he once had his confidence in? What's caused this dramatic turnaround for him? Well, what's happened is that he has met the truth. The scam has been unmasked. He now sees his achievements as garbage, actually literally dung or manure. You get the idea, that's the stench. They're not just worthless things. He says in verse 7 that he now counts them as loss. They're counting against him. 
on the wrong side of the ledger because he was trusting in those things instead of trusting in God and boasting in Jesus Christ. Because this is how the scam works, you see. It encourages us to take our eyes off Jesus and off his cross, above which God has written in the blood of his Son, look what I have done and place your trust in me because I have done it all for you. And, and instead, it encourages us to keep filling our trophy cabinet in the vain hope that one day our confidence will be truly satisfied. But the scam loses all its appeal when we meet Jesus, loses all its power when we meet Jesus. And the better we know Jesus and the more excellent and precious Jesus becomes to us, then the more we'll see the foolishness of putting our confidence in anything other than in him. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. At the start of the chapter in verse 1, he urged the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. And in context, he seems to be saying that rejoicing and delighting in Jesus is actually the thing that will safeguard you against the scam, which makes complete sense because the better you know the real thing, the more easily you'll spot the counterfeit. And so in the second half of the passage, Paul describes and he demonstrates his own delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the kinds of things he says about Jesus? He wants to gain Christ, to be found in him. He wants to rest in the gift of righteousness, that is rightness before God that comes through faith, through trust in Jesus and his death. He wants to follow Jesus no matter what. He wants to become like Jesus in his life. And finally, he wants to be with Jesus, who he calls his goal and his prize. Having let go of everything else that he had previously held on to for his confidence and his value and his sense of purpose, those things that were in fact holding him back from receiving all that Christ is and offers, he now has both hands free to grab hold of Christ. What about you? Are your hands full or are they free? Because here's the thing. If your hands are full of yourself and your achievements and your identity, then you won't have a hand free to grab hold of Christ. And if you don't grab onto Christ, then in the end, you'll miss out on everything. Because here's another element of how the scam works. It keeps you looking only at the here and now. Hands full in the here and now. And it keeps you so busy in the here and now that you never have time to give a second thought to eternity. That's right, eternity, forever. How is that looking for you? How will you, how confident are you about how you will spend eternity? Now, you may be confident that heaven awaits you, but if your confidence is based on your own goodness and your own efforts and achievements, your identity, then you have fallen for the scam hook, line, and sinker. God is not interested in the garbage in your trophy cabinet. You're not going to rock up to Jesus and say, look at my CV, are you impressed, Lord God? Rather, your answer has to be about him. I have trusted you, Lord God, and what you have given for me, your precious son. 
So you may be confident but have your confidence in the wrong things or you may be fearful and uncertain about eternity. Now, folks, if that describes you, can I actually encourage you by saying that's a better place to be in than the person who has false confidence because it means that you don't have confidence in yourself. But if you are fearful and uncertain, it suggests that you're still under the influence of the scam because you still think that you need to measure up, that you've got to be good enough for God to accept you. Folks, please listen carefully to this. Let me blow the scammers out of the water once and for all. You can have confidence in your right standing with God. As you open your eyes and you recognize the reality of eternity, you can have confidence that God has great things in store for you, but you must make sure that your confidence is well-placed, and that means letting go of any confidence that you have in yourself and grabbing hold of confidence in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Folks, unless you're holding on to Jesus, eternity is looking very bleak. Because eternity belongs to Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We heard about this a couple of weeks ago, that incredible dive of Jesus who was in very nature God, yet didn't grasp hold of what belonged to him, but rather came down to us, that we might hold out our hand and he might grab hold of us and drag us back up to his heaven. So when you go home today, I encourage you to check out your trophy cabinet. I guess probably most of us don't actually have a trophy cabinet, literally speaking, but you know what I mean. Uh, It's not something we're all that good at and not something that we do all that often. But to really take stock, be honest with yourself about what's in there, and then let go of it all, Better still, clear it out or get rid of the cabinet altogether. If you've met Jesus, if you know him, if you've gained Christ, you don't need any of that stuff anymore. In fact, it's garbage that'll only hold you back. Instead, grab hold of Christ and put your trust and your confidence in him. Boast in him and all that he has done. And hold on tight as he leads you safely and surely into his excellent eternity. Let's pray that we would. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ, uh, the doors are thrown wide open. Access to know you in spite of our unworthiness and our sin, because Jesus has offered his righteousness in our place that he offers it as a free gift by grace, that you are a merciful God who wants all people to be saved and has made it possible through the gift of your son. So Father, help us to consider what might be filling our lives and holding us back from holding on to Jesus. Help us to take this warning seriously, not to let it idly pass us by and think, oh yeah, I'm right, but rather to take stock of our own hearts so that we might get rid of the idols and the things that really don't measure up to Jesus and won't last on the final day. Help us instead to grab hold of Jesus and put our trust in him alone. And we pray in his name. Amen.